check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Thanks one and all for joining us, and welcome to episode three of A Toast to the A-Town, presented to you by the good folks at the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andre Aldrich. The Hawks just wrapped up the first week of February with a one in three homestand, securing that lone victory on Saturday night with a solid 132-121 victory over the Toronto slash Tampa Raptors. With this being our first show following the Super Bowl, a tip of the cap to the Buccaneers for their victory over the Chiefs. Matter of fact, our special guest a little later in the podcast will be a longtime Atlanta resident and Hawks fan with a serious NFL tie-in. He's also one of the few athletes that has played in both the NFL and Major League Baseball. Over the past 50 years, the number of athletes that can make that claim is less than 10. His name is Brian Jordan, and he'll share some surprising basketball stories you probably haven't heard. Another notable name in that exclusive club, and one of the more recent to actually make it to the big leagues, was Drew Henson. He threw a couple of passes for the Cowboys and briefly suited up in Yankee pinstripes. As a young boy, Henson played Little League ball in Salt Lake City, where his father was the offensive coordinator for the University of Utah football team. Drew went on to become one of the most renowned high school quarterbacks in the state of Michigan, and to bring our story full circle, split time as a university quarterback at Michigan with some guy by the name of Tom Brady. TB12 didn't like that part at all. Maybe that's when Tom really started putting that chip on his shoulder that helped him pick up Super Bowl trophy number seven at the age of 43. And with all of that being said, Drew Henson didn't have a sliver of the professional success that our guest, Brian Jordan, did. So I'm really looking forward to talking with him a little bit later. Let's focus back on the Hawks now. And despite the results of their early February work, they were still on top of the Southeast Division as the Super Bowl came to a close, albeit by half a game. Most concerning right now, though, is the injury suffered by DeAndre Hunter that is going to keep him sidelined for at least the next few weeks. DeAndre had to undergo an arthroscopic procedure on his right knee on February 7th. Discomfort in the knee had forced him to miss the previous four games. And just his second year, Hunter is as close to an irreplaceable piece of the Hawks roster that there is. Now, he had been the second leading scorer at 17 points per game, although John Collins has overtaken that role. He was second in minutes played, and his defense has been crucial to the overall success and improvement we've seen from this team from last year. We'll get an update on his prognosis in a couple of weeks. So obviously, we are hoping for the best for DeAndre Hunter there. Something else I need to touch on about the Hawks is bittersweet, but equally huge for anyone that's been around the team in any capacity over the past 15 years or so. My friend Sekou Smith lost his life to COVID-19 on January 26th at the age of 48. I say my friend, but if you were fortunate enough to have met or interacted with Sekou, Odds are very strong that he was your friend, too. Sekou covered the Hawks as the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's beat writer from 2005 through 2009. And before that, he covered the Pacers for the Indianapolis Star Tribune. His work at NBA Digital was seen and read from coast to coast. Well, in honor of Sekou, the Hawks announced that they will name the media workroom at State Farm Arena after redesigning the space to honor his memory. So for the 2021-22 season, the Sekou Smith Press Room will formally open. And that's nice, but it's not enough for my man. So the Hawks will also annually honor the player on the team's roster who best represents themselves and the franchise with professionalism and integrity in their interactions with the media. 
A plaque in the media workroom will display the name of each season's honoree, and an on-court trophy presentation will be held, including the winner and members of Seku's family. And finally, the team will launch an annual Hawks NBA Summer League internship in Seku Smith's name for a journalism or multimedia student from a Southwestern Athletic Conference school. Now, that student will serve as a Hawks beat writer for NBA Summer League, and their work will appear on the team's digital team properties, providing valuable experience and clips for that student. Hawks will cover the intern's travel costs and provide a stipend. Seku was a product of a SWAC school, as Jackson State University was his alma mater. I applaud the Hawks for elevating and honoring the memory of a great man, and my prayers continue to go out to the family Seku Smith. As for their on-the-court work, the Hawks have a three-game week starting in Dallas on Wednesday, where Texas two-step as they return home to face the Spurs on Friday before finishing things up with the Pacers, also at State Farm Arena on Saturday night. It is Black History Month, and really awesome to see the MLK letters and the stained glass at center court here in the A-Town. It's really unfortunate that one of the stories that's bubbled up this month is a school in Utah that had decided parents could opt out of having their children exposed to Black History Month curriculum. Evidently, a few parents had complained. So the school gave everyone the option of removing the access to black history. Now, the school in North Ogden, Utah, has 322 students. Only three of them are black. Really not germane to the story. By no means do you have to have been a resident of Utah like I was for a few years to see all the bad left turns in this story. It is ironic to me that the 10 other black people that lived in Utah when I was there, other than the jazz players, lived in Ogden. Here's more history. The Transcontinental Railroad changed life as it was known once it was completed on May 10th, 1869, not far from Ogden, Utah. Black people worked on getting that completed, as did Asians, connecting the Union Pacific and the Central Pacific. Many of the few blacks who ventured to Utah back then and over the early years chose Ogden to find jobs on the railroad as porters and other auxiliary roles. Here's your trivia question that'll win you a bar bet once we all go back to bars after the Rona and vaccines, was there a member of the Showtime Lakers born in the Beehive State? Answers, yes, Byron Scott, born in Ogden, Utah. So let's just say that I was happy to see the words of Utah Jazz stars Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert criticizing this latest foolishness. And I was pleased that the school responded to the backlash by reversing their decision. And to put a tiny little bow on this Utah thread, I'm going to try to work in a Stein Erickson story when I bring my invited guest on in a moment. Stein Erickson was skiing's first superstar. He was an Olympian for Norway in 1948 and 1952. And I thought about him as Will Ferrell was waging his war against Norway in his Super Bowl commercials. Now, I met Stein during my time in Utah. He was a gold medalist in the giant slalom and silver medalist in the slalom in 1952. The coolest stories I learned about Norway, I heard from him. And more important to right now, I remember the late great skier saying to me, don't be afraid of what you don't know, just learn it. And with that, let's get another fun downhill run going as I welcome in my special guest. All right, let's get to the uh, really good stuff now. And I, I tell you what, 
before I bring in my, my special guest, and without question, he, he's a special guest, I want to talk to you just a little bit about him. We're going to give him plenty of time to talk and talk about himself and everything. But again, it, it's worth mentioning that in the history of the world, okay, history of the world, when there was an NFL and Major League Baseball out here for us to consume and watch and be fans of, um, in the history of humankind, less than 80 players have been able to make it to both sports, play in both sports. That's an unbelievable, unbelievable number, all right? And if we only go back to, let's say, 1970 to keep it a little bit more new school, that number is less than 10. So without question, it is my honor to bring on one of the guys that achieved the highest levels of success in both pro sports, the NFL and Major League Baseball. More important for us, he's a big part of the story of the city of Atlanta and continues to this very day to be uh, have a big impact on that. So right now, we reach out and say hello to the two-sport man as I bring in uh, Jordan. Brian, thanks for joining us here on the Toast to the Eight, man. Hey, any, anything for you, Dre. You can call me and invite me anytime. <laughs> All right. Hey, this isn't going to be your only time on here. It's just your first time. So thank you for joining us here, man, on episode number three. And, and Brian, again, one of the one of the reasons, uh, as you expressed to me, you are a guy who you're an athlete your entire life. OK, so even though you I mentioned that about baseball and football, you said to me, man, I want to talk about basketball. And, and, and you're not like the other guys that I know in Major League Baseball. Hey, man, I want to talk about basketball. So we are definitely going to talk about basketball in the Hawks. First of all. How long did it take you to become an Atlanta Hawks fan once you got to once you got down here to Atlanta? Well, once I got down there, I, you know, I, I had been and seen the Hawks. I'm a big Dominique Wilkins fan growing up. I'm always looking at the, the greatest athletes out there. And I felt like Dominique in the game of basketball was one of those guys. So, you know, I knew about the Atlanta Hawks. And then to come down and play with the Falcons, uh, being my first time in Atlanta, uh, you know, I kept up with those guys. And, and Andre, I got to tell you, I played two sports, but basketball was my favorite sport, man. And I wasn't a point guard, so I had to stick with baseball and football. So I knew I wasn't going to make it to the NBA. All right. Now talk <laughs> talk to me about growing up in, in, in Baltimore. And we know Baltimore, the hard scrabble city, and you got to be tough and, and all that. Uh, uh, what was your position in basketball? And, and how was it that that was your first love, man? You know, I, I grew up in Baltimore City. And mm -hmm. uh, my mom was an educator. My dad was a steel worker. And my dad was a great athlete, man. And, uh, you know, my grandfather always bragged about my dad in sports. So I wanted to be better than my dad. That was my goal. And my grandfather told me he was a great basketball player, football, baseball. So that was my focus, Andre. I wanted to go out there and compete and be the best. And, you know, I love basketball because it was easy. You know, I lived next to a field uh, where – a home was where kids who uh, were no longer with their families was placed. So they had the basketball courts out there in the cold air, didn't matter. But I was always on the field playing basketball with my best friend. And, uh, you know, I just grew to love that game. And, you know, Michael Jordan and and all mm -hmm. the great players of Dr. J growing up was, was I loved the Sixers back in the day, man. I know you did. You know, <laughs> Julius Irving, you know. <laughs> I can I can almost do that whole announcement, man, with Moses Malone and those guys. But I, I love watching basketball. I mean, I felt like one, you know, some of the greatest athletes played the game of basketball. So mm -hmm. that was that was my number one. But of course, I love them all. And uh, mm -hmm. my mom and dad always encouraged me to play every sport and, and have fun in it. 
You know, Brian, and again, there's a rumor that basketball is a non-contact sport, and, and sure, now it's kind of evolved into that with no handshake and that. But back when you were just learning, did you enjoy the contact, and were you a physical player? Oh, my God, man. The bad boys, <laughs> man. Detroit Pistons, man. Dennis Rodman and those guys. I love watching the way they played the game. The Larry Birds, the Magic Johnsons. I mean, it was a physical sport, and I played it physical, man, because – Normally, I'm playing the best athlete on the, on the court. I don't care whether it was a point guard, if it was a 6'5 center that was an athlete, I was going to play him. I accepted the challenge. So, you know, that's that's the way I was. And I would play physical. I would try to get in their head, you mm -hmm. know, just like I saw on TV, the Larry Birds and those guys, man. So that's the way I played the game, and that rolled into football and baseball. So let me ask you this then. Also, Brian, uh, again, I'm a very proud USC Trojan, and for all of the athletics that went on there – some of my best memories, even though I was involved in basketball, was going to the old gym and watching the football guys go out there and get at it. And those games were kind of crazy. So at Richmond, Mr. Spider, uh, was there some intense basketball games going on when you were there? Hey, don't get caught in the web, baby, the Richmond Spiders. Oh, yeah, man. We would always be down on the intramural courts, man, playing basketball. You know, even though the coaches didn't like it, you know, that was our way of staying in great shape. And being competitive, man, and playing a sport that we love. You'd be amazed at how many football or baseball players love mm -hmm. the game of basketball growing up. So, you know, we always played it. I know it was illegal as a Major League Baseball player, but me and Smokes <laughs> used to go at it every <laughs> offseason, man. <laughs> Smokes, Smokes thinks he's the best player out of Detroit. And, and, and one of my early Smokes memories for, again, Hall of Fame pitcher, John Smokes, it, it wasn't that it was me. It could have been a complete stranger have some video of him playing with the brothers in, in a YMCA because, of course, <laughs> they looked at the goofy-looking white guy thinking that he couldn't play, and uh, Smoltz was out there putting it on me, and he, on his phone, he shows me the video. He was as proud of that, Brian, as he was of all the major league accolades, I think. Hey, Andre, let me tell you my favorite moment is with my foundation, and you know about my foundation. Uh -huh. I used to have a basketball game on Saturday and a golf on Monday. And we would have it down at the old Phillips Arena. Uh huh. And John Smokes, Kenny Lofton, I mean, I had the stars in there playing basketball. And when I tell you John Smokes was running point guard, uh -huh. he threw an alley-oop up to Kenny Lofton. Yes, and sir. And he slammed it. And then he had a fast break all alone, and he missed the layup. And they oh. showed it on ESPN. Oh. And I love that moment. <laughs> It was the greatest of all time because I rubbed it in his face every time. Uh, <laughs> but, oh, man, it was, a, it was a great competitive basketball game, man. And then mm -hmm. Kevin Millwood hurt his ankle one year, and they, yep. I had to cut it out after that, man. <laughs> hey, let's, let's talk about uh, a little bit of uh, team, team sports. And I know, yeah, sure, uh, each sport is different, but I think the chemistry and the camaraderie of, of team is so important. So I know I was able to, you know, we reflect back on the 60-win season of the Hawks from a few years ago, a team with really no superstars, even though they had four all-stars that season. And we look at this current group, and obviously things are centered around young Trey Young and, and watching him grow and develop in year number three and, and watch him go on. What are you seeing from, from these guys and, and having to play along with a star? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm ex I was so excited coming into the season because of the mm -hmm. depth that the Hawks have built uh, in the in, in the off season, and I watched the first couple of games, man, and and the three pointers were coming. I mean, those yes, guys, you know, I just like the hustle, I like the attitude, and you know, if we can stay healthy and keep everybody right. on that court, 
where coach can deal with the depth, I mm-hmm. think we have a shot. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, health always seems to be the big problem with the Hawks. But when Trey is, is running that point, I love the fact that we got the big center from the Houston Rockets because oh, he man. is dominating, Clint, man. Clint Capella and, is showing that he's um, worth everything, man. You know what? He's having fun. And I'm not sure mm-hmm. if he was having fun in Houston, you know, mm-hmm. because he couldn't show all his talents. Mm-hmm. And now Trey is giving him that opportunity. The team is giving him that opportunity to be a rebounder, a scorer, uh, a shot blocker. And he's, he's a complete player. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you still got Collins. I mean, we have mm-hmm. so much on this team to, to build on. Right. That I'm really excited, and I, I wish we could get into the into the sta- stands and watch the games, man. Hopefully, you know, it'll come soon. And as as we talk about a little bit earlier on this edition of a toast to the A Town, you talk about the injuries, and uh, we're going to be without DeAndre Hunter uh, yeah. for at least the next few weeks. That's a big blow. I know yeah. it's always the next man up, regardless of any sport you're talking about, and and it's never about excuses. But again, in year number two, uh, the versatility, the strength that he brings, he was not just the second leading scorer, but the fact that he was so effective in different parts of the court, that's going to be a major, major loss for these young Hawks as they try to end the three-year absence we have from the uh, playoffs, Brian. Yeah, it, it is going to be a huge loss, but like you said, the next man up. I mean, mm-hmm. I, that's what I love about this depth of the team, and you know, we're going to have the next, if it's Herder, whoever mm-hmm. that needs to mm-hmm. step in there and make it happen. I think, you know, they're starting to gel together where it doesn't matter. Whoever mm-hmm. on that court, they're going to make some plays and they're going to score. And mm-hmm. I like what I see. Uh, I, I know it's tough on the coach because you want that, that steady five going out there every day. Uh-huh. But, I mean, you got to give him a lot of credit, man. He's doing no. a great job with, with, mm-hmm. with dealing with all the injuries. I want to tell you uh, uh, the beauty of uh, spending the first 10 minutes here with you talking basketball. So I'm going to take you back to my very first TV job I had in Salt Lake City. And, you know, it wasn't hard for me to stand out in Salt Lake City. But here's what's interesting, Brian. I bumped into a guy named Stein Erickson, who was a world-class skier, uh, medals from the Olympics, all that good stuff. I mean, this is skiing royalty. I just happened to bump into him. And I was a weekend sports guy. I was a weekend sports guy. So in a sense, you're the, you're the backup guy. You're the reserve guy. And I see him, and Stein's like, Andre, you're doing a great job. And I'm like, oh, my my good – and will you come on my show on Saturday, right? Uh-huh. And so he goes, absolutely. And so, you know, I'm on cloud nine, and then, Brian, he just goes, I want to tell you something, Andre. I come on your – I don't know, talk about the fucking wooden skis and the fucking what it was going <laughs> on there and all that other shit. So, first of all, I'm thinking – Number one, he talks like me, not like Brian Jordan. But number two is like, sure, that's fine. But you know what? My boss is going to kick my butt if I don't talk about the wooden skis. But we were, he wanted to talk about the jazz and he wanted to talk about basketball. You understand that as a guy that's played everything your whole life, just like Stein, even though he excelled better than anybody else in the world at skiing, that you're just an athlete. Exactly. And and we want to get that out there and brag about it, you know, <laughs> and, you know, because so many people see us just on a baseball field or on a football uh, mm-hmm. field. But, you know, that's not necessarily your main love. You know, I, I love playing. I don't care which what ball you throw out there. If it's soccer, I'm going to go out there and compete. Dodgeball. <laughs> All right. You know, I was a great chess player. They consider chess a sport now. So, yeah, I was I was I played great chess growing up. So. Anything. Okay, well, well, you know, I know a lot. You know, I know a lot of your stories. I've been talking to you for a lot of years, but let's. I'm gonna take you back in the wayback machine now. Now we're gonna focus on you just a little bit, and and maybe a little stuff that you didn't know that I know about you. Okay, so 
we've never talked about this, but so growing up in Baltimore, and I don't know if everybody knows this, that um, you're a proud Richmond spider, but you were supposed to go to the University of Maryland and play for Bobby Ross, who got my Chargers to the Super Bowl, lost yeah. to the Niners, who got Georgia Tech to a national championship, a great coach. And as you and the kid in Baltimore, I think you were a running back. Ex explain what's happening, man. You know, I was a running back, uh, and also I played two ways. And, and most, you know, <laughs> growing up, a lot of us played two ways. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're mm -hmm. an athlete, they're going to keep you on the field. And, you know, I love running the ball. I love running through people or trying to run <laughs> around people. Uh, and growing up in Baltimore, you know, University of Maryland was my dream school. And guess why it was? It wasn't why? about football or baseball. It was about Lynn Bias, who oh, went to the wow. University of Maryland. Wow. My favorite player of all time. And, you know, to have the opportunity to go to Maryland, visit, and and sit behind Lynn Bias as he's out there. Uh, mm -hmm. I mean, that was the school for me. And that was my dream okay. school growing mm -hmm. up. And uh, all I had to do was go out there and keep playing hard and, and get that opportunity. And my junior year, I got that opportunity, the full scholarship. Mm -hmm. And I was like in hog heaven. I didn't even go visit <laughs> other colleges. And I could have went anywhere. <laughs> I was like, don't waste a trip. I'm not going there. I'm going to Maryland. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, I was ready to sign the dotted line. And uh, the, the big what? thing during the mm -hmm. recruiting time was I wanted to play two sports. Right. And they sold me on it. They said I could do it. And just as I'm signing the line, Bobby Ross said, hey, I need you to focus on baseball your freshman, I mean, football your freshman year and give up baseball. And I was like, oh, hold up. And I look back at my parents, man, and you talk about a major choice in a young man's life at that time, you know, to turn back my dream school, to, to continue on with my dreams of playing two sports. Uh, I decided to go to the University of Richmond. They would allow me to do anything I wanted to do. Uh -huh. And, you know, it was a smarter choice anyway because of academics. Uh, I wanted to graduate. That was going to be the number one thing. Even if I get that opportunity to play two sports, I wanted to graduate first. And University of Richmond was a great academic institution that cared about their athletes and made us focus on, on our schoolwork. You know, Brian, at a young age, though, a lot of folks, and again, that's this is Bobby Ross has some juice, okay? Especially oh, yeah. for somebody back there, right? So a lot of kids will go like, well, okay, all right. How is it that you had in your head that you thought you were going to be able to keep playing two sports from a very young age? Or was it just that was the dream? That was my dream, man. Ever since okay. I was uh, six years old, when my mom and dad made me write it down and put it on my wall, uh, I knew what I wanted to do, and I was going to stay focused on that task. Uh, my mom and dad always made education first. Uh, so I, I knew I wanted to follow that path and, and, and you know, work hard to do what I wanted to do in life. And, mm -hmm. you know, when Bobby Ross said I could not play baseball, I know how hard it is to play the game of baseball. And it's tough to sit out a whole year and think you're going to come back and be that same mm -hmm. type of player. And mm -hmm. I didn't want to take that chance. And mm -hmm. I, I wasn't going to let him stop that dream. And uh, it was a tough decision, man, because on that recruiting trip, being a running back, I mm -hmm. used to hide behind those big linemen, and they snuck me in the clubs. Oh. And it was like, you know how you're in the middle of those linemen sneaking in the club? You're sitting there like, oh, this is going to be awesome. When I, <laughs> I get to run behind these hogs. So it was, it was tough, man, but uh, I think I made the right decision. Oh, the spiders are definitely happy for it. And also, look, uh, uh, another good friend of mine who's been a great – 
NBA assistant coach for a while. He was a good head coach in Brooklyn, uh, Kenny Atkinson. Yeah. Also Kenny Atkinson. a guy who was a Richmond Spider. And the fact that I knew you uh, brought my stock up by about seven levels because uh, <laughs> Kenny, Kenny worships you, man. Uh, you know, I won a dunk contest when Kenny was playing at halftime, man. Uh, Dave Robinson, the Navy. It was Richmond against Navy. Uh -huh. And I won a dunk contest at halftime, man. One of the highlights of my career. Man. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. So, Brian, we think about all this, and you've got all this positivity. You got you got the parents pushing you. You got you know education and all that. In a sense, to me, you've never had a defeat as an athlete. Okay, at, at a young age, you never had anything, man. So let's get you past Richmond, where you kick ass there, and you go there. You go into the next level. You go to the NFL, and you're with the Buffalo Bills, or you're in Buffalo Bills camp, and I believe just your first heartbreak happens. You get cut. Help me with this story. Well, yeah, like you said, I mean, I had to bounce back uh, big time. Everything was going great. I've never been turned back from anything in my life uh, for, from a sports standpoint. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I had my first big challenge in the senior bowl. Uh, I was projected to be a third rounder coming out of Richmond. I go to the Senior Bowl, have a great week of practice with Dan Reeves, the coach of the uh, Denver Broncos mm -hmm. at the time. And now I'm projected after that week of practice to be the first or second safety taken in the NFL draft. So I'm like, first round in baseball, now it's a possibility my dreams will come true being a first uh -huh. round in football. And in the first quarter of that game, Andre, I'm running across the field to, to tackle Cleveland Gary, University of Miami. And my teammate undercuts me, and I break my leg and dislocate my ankle. Mm. And you're talking about a challenge. Uh, you're talking about being resilient. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a, that was a crushing time of my life where I thought my dreams were over. And you know, through the will of God and mm -hmm. and my parents, uh, I knew it wasn't going to be over. And I remember every every doctor I saw during the combine. You know, I'm sitting there with a cast and crutches. Oh. And as you know, Andre, mm -hmm. a combine and you're a piece of meat going up there. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, and you measuring are. your arms and everything. It, it was just, it was a rough time. And to hear all those doctors that in the NFL look at my injury, say it was so severe that I probably wouldn't play in the NFL. Mm. You know, imagine that, man. Somebody's mm. telling you your dream is over. So I wanted to prove them wrong. Uh, I went back, had surgery, plate screws put in. And I told that therapist, you know, the first day, I don't care if I'm crying. You keep pushing me. You push me through it. And matter of three months, man, I was running straight ahead, full speed. Wow. I show up. Buffalo, I was fortunate they still drafted me, you know. They still mm -hmm. liked me. They still wanted to see if I could bounce back. And I went to minicamp after three months. And I'm saying, I'm ready. And they looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> Hold up. Slow down, you know. And. When training camp rolled around, I wasn't 100%, you know, going mm -hmm. side to side, but I could run full speed ahead. And that's all I needed. And mm -hmm. I led all defensive backs for Buffalo in, in training camp. And wow. that was the that was the great years for Buffalo, man. The Bruce mm -hmm. Smith, Cornelius Bennett. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was when Leonard Smith was the starting safety then. And Dwight Stone, big guy mm -hmm. out of Oklahoma, was the backup safety. Mm -hmm. And even then, I thought I made the team. And I, I show up. At the you know, they didn't come and get my blue book, so I was excited. Thought I made the team, and in the training room, the trainer called me in and said, Marvel Levy wants to see you. And I'm thinking, 
to congratulate me, shake my hand, and say, I'm all excited. And when I opened that door, he wasn't smiling. And I was like, uh-oh. And, you know, he said, look, Brian, we love you here. Uh, you had a great camp. and But you're the 46-man on a 45-man roster. And when he said that, if you'd have seen my mouth drop to the floor, I, I couldn't believe it, man. Mm -hmm. You know, and he, you know, he then said that they would love to keep me on injured reserve for the year. Mm -hmm. But, you know, after having a great camp like that and, and in my head, no, I should have made the team and no, I can play in the NFL. I said, hey, release me. Uh, if I don't get picked up, you know, mm -hmm. I'll come back. Right. And, you know, I tell you, Andre, after hearing that news and I had to pack my stuff and I'm driving down the road. And how, dev know, how, from, dev how devastated, from, how devastated oh are you? From Buffalo, you know, you got all those little mountains and stuff on the side. I'm ready to ride off the mountain, man, because that, oh. that's how depressed I was, man, right. to be turned back. I didn't know how ex to accept it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I really had some thoughts going through my head. Like, you know, I wasn't worthy, you know? And, and I really didn't want to, you know, tell my dad and disappoint my dad. Mm -hmm. uh, so it took some time before I even called my parents and let them wow. know. Uh, but thank goodness, mm -hmm. you know, before I could meet my sister in Atlantic city. Now, wait a minute. Did did your sister try to, you know, talk you off the edge while you're, you're driving or, or get <laughs> you to come have a meal or something like that? Yes, she did, man. She said, Hey, meet, meet me in Atlantic city. And we could just, you know, <laughs> eat and have some fun and get it off your mind. And, you know, before I, you get to Atlantic City, my agent had called me and said, hey, you know, and that was the beginning of, of Atlanta. Okay. Okay. Awesome, man. That's a, so, 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 so from taking an L to, to, to a big W. So you get down here and again, you're, you're, you're with the Falcons and as your Falcons career is going on, you're in the, you're in the secondary with prime time with Deion, with Deion Sanders. What was that like for you? Well, first of all, when I, when I first signed, you know, the, you know, all the hype was about Dion and prime right. time. And, you know, I got down there and, and, you know, went to my first practice and I could see what the hype was all about, mm -hmm. you know, because I didn't watch a lot of college football. I didn't know, you know, I got some great stories about that, you know, me seeing Dion for the first time and Bo Jackson for the first time, you know, my dad always told me, he said, Hey, I don't care how many awards you get or how good you think you are there's always somebody out there in another state that could be better than you okay and man in college and i'm sorry to deflect no back, no but, no no so in college you know baseball season we would always go down south you know during the cold weather and our first stop was auburn <laughs> and i see these cameras following this guy who was just cock diesel <laughs> <laughs> right and i'm like man he got a baseball uniform on and then i'm hearing rumors that you know hey this is bo jackson he played football for auburn and he plays baseball too so i'm sitting there like man okay we got another one <laughs> and man during the game one of our players hit the ball over bo jackson's head in center field and the guy was on first base and I'm saying, okay, he's scoring easy. Bo Jackson picks the ball up at the center field wall, and he throws a missile five feet off the ground the whole way. And I'm sitting there like, he's going to be thrown out at home. 
and the ball rises up over the catcher's head. And I'm sitting there like, oh, my, oh my I called my dad. After, I called my dad after the game and said, Dad, you're right. This guy named Bo Jackson. I got to keep working hard. And we, leave, and we leave Auburn and we go down to Florida State. And I hear, you know, we're on the baseball field. And I hear all this ruckus going on over the track. And I see this guy jump over the fence from the track meet in his track uniform, running over to the baseball field. And there it is, Deion Sanders. And I'm like, <laughs> I called my dad again. And like, Dad, it's another one, man. This guy's a great athlete too, man. So they grow just, down here. Hey, that just motivated me to work harder. Because, you know, going to a smaller school, I knew it was, a, you know, be a long mm -hmm. shot for me. So, mm -hmm. you know, but it all worked out, man, to be able to play with Dion. Mm -hmm. uh, with the Falcons, man, I, it was amazing. You know, going from Buffalo in training yes. camp, and they yes. coming down to the lowly Falcons because <laughs> that was a lowly year <laughs> for the Falcons. And I watched the first practice, and I said, "Man, there's Dion, and then there's everybody else because this is not good." <laughs> and you know, it was amazing that you know they put me on injury reserve for the first six weeks. You mm -hmm. know, so I can learn the system get healthier because they know I wasn't 100% side to side. And during the seventh game, I was just excited to come off the injured reserve, and they didn't take me off because oh, they were man. like one They were like one in six, you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, to think about it now, they didn't want to waste my talent <laughs> on that bad, bad team. But then by the, by the 11th game, I'm ready to just say, man, forget this. If I can't play on this team, something's not right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, Dion, because we used to practice together, we had fun, we talked uh -huh. baseball, right. and he knew I could hit and I, I could play. And mm -hmm. finally, Dion just said, look, I ain't playing if y'all don't hurry up and let Brian play. And, you know, from there, man, I ended up starting every game of my career. And, mm -hmm. you know, it was so much fun playing beside Dion, man. Everybody talk about his speed. No, mm -hmm. I talk about his brain, man, because – this cat was the smartest player I've ever seen. And wow. he knew what was gonna happen before it was gonna happen, man. So that was that was why it was so tough for me to to make that decision to go play baseball because after my third year, I was an alternate in the Pro Bowl and my career was just starting to take off in football because I was learning from Dion, you know? Right. Learning how to study the game and even though you were hitting people and he wasn't, and I and I and I say that in all, all all respect, he's the most exciting defensive player I've ever seen. I've been lucky enough to have uh, uh, listened to Bill Parcells talk to football in relationship to real estate, which blew my mind. But I've been in a stadium when Dion was a Niner, in the stadium when Dion was a Cowboy and a Falcon. So there's nobody like him. But I still go back. You were hitting people. He wasn't. No, and, and I respected that man because we needed him on the field. I don't, I didn't even want him to get hurt, so I didn't mind <laughs> making the big hits and tackles if he didn't because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he was so good in so many ways mm -hmm. that could help us win mm -hmm. through punt returns, kick returns. Right. I mean, I, I don't even know why we didn't use him as receiver, also. Right. But, uh, I mean, he was just that talented, man, that explosive. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I love playing with him, he made everybody mm -hmm. around him better. Uh, I mean, he was a leader that, you know, people really don't talk about. But, mm -hmm. man, this dude was – he was the legit GOAT to me as a cornerback. <laughs> now, Brian, was, was was he legitimately mad at you when you went to baseball? I think so, man, because our relationship kind of went down. Uh -huh. I think he was a little upset, uh, mm -hmm. you know, because, to be honest, you know, and I've heard this from Bobby Butler, a cornerback mm -hmm. from Florida State, my teammate. 
mm-hmm. you know, when I left, that defense right. fell apart. Yeah, and, and, you know, and I think that was a big reason Dion ended up leaving and going to a winning organization right. in San right. Francisco and Dallas. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think that hurt him a little mm-hmm. bit. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that we didn't get a chance to talk before I had to make that decision. But, right. you know, at the end of the day, man, I didn't have all the glamour and glitz that he had. Right. You know, to work with. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I had to go ahead and continue to earn it. And, you know, he wasn't hitting people like I was hitting. So I don't, I know <laughs> so that. I, I know baseball, that. Baseball would be the longevity and, and safer route for me, mm-hmm. even though I wasn't ready to give up football at that time. I wanted to at least get in another couple of years before I decided to play baseball. But the Falcons made that difficult. Brian, one more thing before I let you go. And again, this ain't going to be your only time on here, so uh, we got plenty to talk about. But I know what's just as important as everything you've said to me so far is the work you've done with your foundation and the work you've been doing with your foundation. Why has that always been important to you? Uh, you've been getting kids to to read for decades. Um, it, or is that from having educators in your family and putting that in you? Yeah, I, I think watching my mom, uh, you know, as a young boy, uh, just give hope to those special needs kids, uh, you know, to encourage them that they can do anything in life. Uh, I knew if I ever make, reach my dreams that I was going to, you know, give kids hope and then give them a chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started my foundation and giving scholarships, you know, education is so important and, and we lack that so much in, in, in a lot of our neighborhoods. So, right. you know, I started writing children's books because I wanted to, how can I do more? And, and I was the last person to think I'm going to write a children's book because I had no confidence in reading. But uh-huh. I knew how important it was for me. And I guess it was a gift from God to get me to start writing to encourage kids with no confidence like I did to read, to educate themselves. You know, even though if they want to play sports, they can do whatever. But education, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. nobody can take that away from you. So mm-hmm. if we can get these kids reading early and having fun reading, uh, they can self-educate themselves and and be smart and uh you know not just the the stereotypical athlete who mm-hmm. you know want to make it through no but get your education and, and excel in whatever you want to do in life so that's something that that's a mission of mine and, and it'll be that for for the rest of my life man brian appreciate you joining us here man and again nothing but the best of success stay healthy stay blessed man and thanks for joining us man on this episode of a toast to the a-town hey anytime andre hey man miss you too man (laughs) thank you brother all right well i don't know what more i need to add to all of that it's great to have somebody that's such a, a a big part of atlanta's story and that's from the time he got here Till now, and whether that was with the Falcons, with the Braves, or in the stands rooting for our Hawks from back then up until the present day when we get fans back into the stadium. But again, uh, the two sport man, Brian Jordan, thank you very much again for joining us here on this edition of A Toast to the A Town. Thank you for joining us. Remember, hit that subscribe button. Toast to the A Town is brought to you by the Basketball Podcast Network. Hey, I will see you next time. <laughs>